Lewis Hamilton returned to the track for the first time since testing positive for coronavirus, but Max Verstappen and Red Bull took all the glory. This is ESPN's Formula One podcast, and the boys and I are back for our review of the final race of the 2020 season in Abu Dhabi. And just like that, guys, just like that, the 2020 season is over. My first full official season of the Formula One and a season that we probably at some point didn't even think we were going to get. It all ended in Abu Dhabi. And let's just be honest, um, I had to I had to work really hard to not fall asleep there at some point. <laughs> it wasn't a classic by any stretch. I mean, we know that Abu Dhabi doesn't produce good racing and this was proof of it. Again, the funny thing was, is usually... If we get a Red Bull on pole and two Mercedes behind, you're going to have an exciting race. But it was flipped round this weekend. So mm-hmm. the Red Bull was genuinely the faster car. And in fact, had we had uh, Valtteri Bottas or Lewis Hamilton get pole and they were both really close in qualifying the day before, we probably would have had a more exciting race because Max had the faster race car as well and would have put pressure on them. But the way it worked out, it didn't happen. We had a safety car, which gave, took a lot of the jeopardy out of the pit stops. Everybody took the opportunity to do it when they did. They all went onto the hard tire, which can basically do a whole race on its own if it, if if you need it. And uh, from that point onwards, it was kind of like a bit of a snorefest, managing tires, some overtaking going on further down the field, which proves it is possible in Abu Dhabi. But none of it was uh, the kind of stuff I think we've become used to of recent races. We've had a really good run of races actually, even though the championship wasn't really a contest. But we've had a decent run of actual races and. Yeah, this one just let us down. But that is the way of Formula 1 sometimes. Very often the way of Formula 1 in Abu Dhabi. So maybe they need to look at changing that circuit and trying to find a way to introduce something a bit more exciting there. Nate, what were your thoughts on it? Were you just equally as bored, not a fan of Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I think it's a dreadful F1 venue. I think we touched on it last week. Um, yeah, as a as a finale, it's just not a great place either. You know, you want a place that's very dramatic and... If you take the title deciders out of the equation, which really weren't thrilling events, they were just quite tense. There's not really been a, you know, a stunning race there. So there were some questions after on TV about whether they should change the layout. You know, they've done that. Um, we saw that in Bahrain, tweaking things like that. So we'll see if that happens. But yeah, it's kind of a very dull way to end the season. I think everyone on Twitter was, I, I, I don't think I've seen a race that bad for a long time. The French Grand Prix last year was bad. And I'm trying to remember if that was worse than this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, neither of them, I can't remember anything that happened really in that race bar, the safety car that Lawrence mentioned. Um, and it only happened a few hours ago. So um, yeah, pretty bad. Want to forget, I suppose, in terms of a finale, but someone was indeed very happy and that was Max Verstappen. I mean, he started right out there leading the pack and that's exactly how he ended. So how much of, a, I suppose, a significant and, and morale boosting win was this, not just for Max, but for Red Bull? Yeah, I think it is is huge. It's only their second win of the year and their first pole position of the season as well this weekend. So that's not really good enough for a team that wants to go and fight for championships. We've seen win four championships in a row and they've basically been chasing their tails all year. The car started off and it wasn't particularly good. It was hard to drive. It had aero and balance. And, you know, if you look at where all the teams were in 2019 and where they ended up in 2020, Yes, Mercedes did well and made the kind of step you'd expect, but really Red Bull was the one that just didn't follow on. And then also we had the situation with Ferrari's engine and everything that went with that that pushed them further back as well. So really, I think what we've seen in the last few races, and it's been coming for a while, 
Uh, Red Bull have started to just understand that car properly. And it's all too late. You know, if you're going to win world championships, it's not the way to do it. But, the, you know, it's kind of positive in a way because they've got to a point now. And you know, if you look at uh, through Imola, Turkey, uh, Bahrain, the first one, OK, they were beaten straight by Mercedes. But Max was, you know, not too far off. Second Bahrain, they actually felt they were going to do very well. But Max got taken out, took out early in the in, in the race. And then you had today's race where it all kind of came together. But there's two elements to this, as always in Formula One. You know, it's kind of how well you do and then how you are relative to your rivals. And uh, Mercedes dropped the ball a bit this weekend. I don't know whether it was just end of term, end of, you know, school feeling. But, um, yeah, the car got set up with a lot of understeer in it, which meant the drivers were really struggling, uh, first of all, to get the kind of turning they needed, the just the balance of the car that they needed to get a quick lap together. And then also it created problems in the race that kind of meant that their race never really came alight. On top of that, they had concerns about the MGUK, which is the kind of hybrid element of the engine of the power unit. And uh, a number of Mercedes engines, not the ones in the Mercedes cars, but ones for Williams and Racing Point have had MGUK issues in recent races. Uh, it may well have been the case that Perez's one was that as well. They are showstoppers often when they happen they certainly take out a lot of performance from the car so i think there was an element of mercedes managing that they said it was worth about 0.1 of a second which isn't enough to lose a race to red bull you know with the advantage we used to see mercedes have so it was a combination of factors but um i think part of it also should be some credit to red bull they had a new rear wing on the car this weekend as well which seemed to have given them a bit of um love down the straights and kind of a bit of a better trade-off between downforce and drag so yeah, this is confidence-inspiring for Red Bull. But then you look at the other side of it and you've got a Mercedes team which said, I can't even remember how many weeks ago, we may even talk months ago, we stopped development of this car and we're focusing on next year. So even though Red Bull appear to have caught up on this circuit today, when we get to testing, which is actually remarkably close, I don't like to look at a calendar right now because it's only about eight weeks away or something ridiculous. When we get to that point... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mercedes all of a sudden have this big step in performance because they've been able to take their focus off worrying about this car. They knew they had the championships in the bag and they've been focusing on next year's car. There is crossover, but it's still going to be a big step, I think, from Mercedes at the start of next year. And Red Bull will struggle to match that, I think. Is that how you see it? A bit of a bittersweet, I suppose, um, way to end the season for Red Bull then? Yeah, I'm not buying any hype about Red Bull next year. I feel like we've done that like <laughs> six or seven times in the last, like in the Mercedes era. You know, Red Bull, Red Bull do finish seasons quite strongly. And then people go into the winter, they're super excited. And then we get to testing and Mercedes just completely blow everyone out of the water. There was a couple of years where Ferrari did it, but, you know, we obviously know now that they were doing it probably on the back of an illegal engine. So, yeah, I I, I don't think anything different. You know, we had Lewis Hamilton was, was less than a tenth off the pole and he was clearly struggling to be at hundred percent, you know, after COVID and stuff. And that might've had an impact on the race. So, you know, it's one race in, what is it? 17 or 18. So I'd like to think Red Bull will be closer, but I just don't, I don't think, I don't think it will be the case. I think Lawrence outlined very nicely why. So if anyone is still believing at this point, they're very, they're very optimistic about Red Bull's chances. And I also think if Mercedes were to start the weekend again, with everything they know now, they could probably quite easily dial that understeer out of the car. Okay, they didn't do it in the practice time they had. They had quite a nicely balanced car on Friday and it just didn't work on Saturday and Sunday. But look, you know, they would have learned from that as well. So any kind of like 
upsetting element of that car. You know, if they were to have a race next week, I don't think it would appear again. And then you'd probably see the Mercedes gain back quite a lot of performance. Might still be close, but I think you'd see a much stronger car. So this isn't the end of an era or anything like that. You know, um, I think we might have to wait at least one more year for that to potentially happen. But, it, it, you know, it was just a sign of Mercedes getting it a bit wrong. Red Bull hitting the sweet spot. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens again when we when we get racing again. Well, I mean, I'll stick up in first with Red Bull and get back to them because I know that when I start this question, it's going to just open a Pandora's box of leads that will lead us down another rabbit hole. So sticking with Mercedes, I suppose, just to round it out, um, as, you know, Nate just said, a bit of a, a rare off day for Lewis Hamilton. But I mean, if he could ever be afforded an off day, it is now given the fact that the headline going in was it was his return, his first race back since returning a positive um, coronavirus test that saw him miss out that second weekend in Bahrain. So, um, Lawrence, just your thoughts there on that one, as he did say afterwards that he was just physically, he's obviously not near 100% yet, and he was just kind of blown away. So now we'll take the next couple of weeks to to fully recover. Yeah, he, he didn't go into details about how bad the symptoms have been, but I think it's quite clear that, it has been a tough few weeks and uh, he's lost weight. Um, I suspect he's probably not slept as well as he would have liked to normally and he hasn't been able to train. And even though it's a fairly short period of time, you know, we're just talking like one and a half weeks where he was in isolation 10 days with COVID, um, it's, I think it still really hit him. And you could see afterwards that, you know, his voice wasn't quite the way it normally was. He was still coughing occasionally. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely believe him when he says that you know, he wasn't 100%. Um, we, we saw that, didn't we, in Germany uh, last last year. He, he wasn't very well. He didn't have COVID back then, obviously, but he wasn't very well. And, uh, and he kind of powered through. And I think, judging by what he said, and I think he said this, you know, was one of the harder race weekends he's ever experienced. So, you know, that gives you a, a, a level of, of how much he was struggling. Would he have won it without? I mean, it's impossible to say. I, I kind of feel like from where he was on the grid, it was always going to be a really hard task. And I don't think there's anything that you can link between his lap times, his actual performance and the fact he had COVID, but certainly he wasn't 100% himself. And that's got to impact you in several ways, be it concentration, be it, you know, kind of enthusiasm to sit through the engineering briefings and sort everything out. You know, I should imagine all of that was much tougher for Lewis this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the good news is, is that he, he is recovering now he's got a lot of time off. And so, um, you know, when he comes back in testing and for the first race next year, I'm sure he'll be fully fit again. And uh, he'll be able to show everybody what he can do once more. At least he was efficient enough to just get the job done well before this unfortunate coronavirus um, pandemic hit him and hit him close to home there. But let's talk, I suppose, sticking with Luis and just the fact that he said a comment as well um, about Alex Albon, who kind of tried to give him a run for his money there at the end. Something that we do and we have been talking about loads on our podcast and and saying that we do want to see that more from Alex Albon. Nate, what did you think of um, Albon's race and and just the fact that we know that all eyes are on him, especially knowing the sharks lurking around for that Red Bull seat. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't really covered himself in glory on Saturday because you know Max had a car for pole and Albon was um, fifth on the grid. So, you know, it's it's difficult with Albon because he does look good at the racecraft, you know, the overtaking of other cars. But then usually when he's been in that situation, he's had the faster car. You know, he was coming through McLaren's today and I think he got past Lando quite nicely. But... I don't know. It's it's the same story with Albon, really. Clearly, there's talent there, but he's just not matching what Max, what Max is doing. He was catching Lewis at the end, but 
again, you know, was was that Lewis at his best? It doesn't. It obviously for Albon, I suppose that doesn't matter. But yeah, hard to get excited by Albon recently. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think clearly he's clearly he's finding some things that are working better than they were earlier in the year. But the 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 pace to max is just so glaring. You can't ever ignore it, really. So it's hard to it's hard to really say. Yeah, you know, we've got a piece that's running next week grading all the drivers and you know spoiler alert alex is pretty low down on that as as a as a failure for the season because the the car he's had and just the fact he's been unable to uh match max is his you know big glaring thing against him and that was again the case uh today where do we stand now i suppose in the conversation about who should get a seat because we know that that's been going on and then the fact that unfortunately Sergio Perez is probably was the last race that we did see him in and boy did it not end properly um it was a guess overly a, a miserable day for Racing Point though wasn't it Lawrence yeah big time um after the highs of Bahrain 2 where they got the double podium and obviously the race win uh to a what looked like yeah some kind of transmission failure or something on the car and um and Lance Stroll not really covering himself in glory either so yeah it wasn't a great race for them they missed out on third in the championship to McLaren which is worth a huge amount of money and I think they're all they've also just waved goodbye to one of the better drivers on the grid in Sergio Perez um you know he may still get the driver at Red Bull I'm kind of hopeful that we'll get something fairly soon on that uh there's lots of rumors flying around people saying that Perez is in um, and that maybe Albon will be kept on as a reserve style role, potentially could drop in if, if they need him. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But um, for Racing Point, it was um, it was a bad uh, day overall. But then they've also got to look back and they've got to look back at the season. They've got to think about those lost points due to that uh, break duct controversy. If you rewind your mind back to uh, Austria, and that's a lot of what we were talking about, you know, the copycat Mercedes, all this kind of stuff. So really racing point have had a car that really is quite comfortably the third fastest car over the balance of the races this year a race winning car as well um when things went wrong for mercedes and uh still you know they finished behind mclaren who have done well you know congratulations to mclaren i think you know they've done a really good job but the car was never really probably you know one of the top ones uh this year so i think they've kind of overperformed overstretched and if you look at that and you look at where the two drivers are, how closely matched they are in the standings as well. I think a lot of that comes down to your drivers. And, you know, when you do have these close battles, uh, it is really important to have two very fast guys or girls in the car um, to be able to maximise the points. And this is uh, an interesting point going forward, not least for Red Bull, because this is one of their main factors for consideration next year if they really do think as Christian Horner was saying that they can carry over this level of performance today into next year then they need two drivers who are going to score the points otherwise it's wasted you know they're going to lose to Mercedes anyway because you can say what you like about Bottas he's, he's still going to get enough points you know you need someone who can challenge them uh, regularly and we saw that as well today uh, Mercedes would have absolutely done another pit stop um, if Albon had been in his usual position out out of out of touch with the top three but because Albon was there they couldn't do that they couldn't mix it up it probably wouldn't have won them the race that they had but if there'd been a late safety car maybe it would so yeah you know Rebel got a real insight into what's needed and so um I think that kind of thought if they really are thinking about challenging for a championship next year they need to look to Perez and I think uh, Racing Point if they're going to think about challenging for third next year 
they're going to be missing some points because I think without Perez, if you minus his score from there and you times strolls by two, you know, they're not looking particularly clever. And Vettel, well, I really hope he comes back. But in terms of underperforming drivers on the grid, I can't think of many that have had a worse season than uh, than Vettel. Well, in all honesty, Lawrence, you had me at um, rumours suggest that. Because <laughs> we know we love that little juice, but how much weight are, are we giving to these rumours? Um, I, I, I don't know, really. I haven't been in the paddock, so it's quite hard to pick up on the mood music around and about. What do your spidey senses tell you? Uh, I, I never trust those anyway. Um, they're not to be trusted. Um, no, I think, look, there's been rumours for a while now, like in the Mexican press, there were a lot of rumours that uh, Perez was linked with Red Bull and it seems to have moved, you know, around. And Look, he's definitely in contention and the decision definitely hasn't been made yet. Like a final, final decision announced to everyone. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a possibility, but I, that's all I can say. I honestly don't know. Um, and I, th- I think we will find out fairly soon, but um, you can make arguments either way. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to basically the conversation between Dietrich Maschitz, Helmut Marko, I'd say those two mainly, and then Christian Horner as well, on, on which of those two drivers they think's best. And I think if you look at the data and the logic and the points, it's got to be Perez. But if you look at maybe what, Ripple are trying to achieve more widely with drivers in, in the sport, then maybe you can make an argument for our one. But yeah, it's um it's a tough one. Tough one indeed. But um it wasn't really too much of a tough day for McLaren, as we did say in the Constructors Championship, they managed to get that little not little, but actually a significant point there to get their third place spot. Nate, what did you make of it and how happy will McLaren be with this one, considering um we know how hard it is to keep up with the big three that unfortunately this year really turned out to be a big two. Yeah, they were celebrating big time on the pit yeah. wall after that. And it shows you what it does actually mean, you know, to, to those teams. Um, it goes back to what Lawrence was saying. Um, Norris and Science have been really closely matched in points all year. And that has shown when it has come to these kind of races, they're both scoring good points every race. And they're not dropping points like Albon was or like Stroll has been at different points. So I think they've actually had one of the most rounded uh, team performances all season. They obviously started with a podium, kind of ebbed and flowed a bit. They could have won at Monza, but, um, but yeah, McLaren, great job from them. And um, it's going to be interesting now because you add Ricardo into that mix with, with Norris. And um, I'm actually really excited to see what those, those guys do. Uh, Mercedes engine as well. So, you know, McLaren, there's a big question mark around them. I'd love to know. I'd love to fast forward six months just to see what they're looking like, you know, kind of a couple of races into next year. But um, yeah, Things look good for McLaren, but again, it's like with a lot of teams, they're still waiting for 2022 as well to to see if that is when they can kind of go back to the front because it's all well and good finishing third. But when you're McLaren, you know, once the celebrations wear off, you still want to be adding trophies back to the, you know, in the factory and they still haven't won a race since 2012. So it's baby steps towards the front. But yeah, an impressive season and uh, an impressive way to, to cap it off, I guess. The, the other thing with McLaren as well, some pretty important news this morning before the race is that they've uh, got some new investment in the team uh, that will eventually become a 33% stake by the end of 2022. Um, and so it's £185 million going in from MSP Sports Capital. And that's really essential because uh, McLaren at the start of this year were really struggling because really the team is funded by um, the operations, the car operations and the car operations came to a halt. And yet the team, of course, the factory closed down as well, but they still needed money to go racing. And 
So McLaren was really struggling there with um, an issue trying to balance the books with Sin. Uh, they took out a big loan uh, from um, uh, from the Bahrain uh, Royal Bank, I think, which is closely linked to the people who actually own the group McLaren. Um, and they also um, did a sell and lease back on their facility in Woking, their amazing factory. Um, you know, they essentially sold it to then lease to stay in it, which makes sense to release some capital and everything. But um, one thing they did do earlier this year was put on hold a number of big investments in wind tunnels and simulation facilities and stuff like that. Uh, that can now come back online with this new, mus- uh, new, new money. So that's a positive thing because McLaren are now again talking about, well, maybe we can you know catch up with the front runners. Again, like Nate said, you're looking 2022 earliest for them to do that. But it's it's a possibility and things are starting to come together in the right way still masses of work to do you know we know just how good mercedes are uh we know how good red bull are and you know they've only just got around to beating mercedes um in arguably a straight fight because the win earlier was down to conditions and tires and all stuff at uh, the 70th anniversary grand prix so you know it's still a massively long way to go but yeah you kind of get the feeling that mclaren having started this year on some pretty shaky ground uh, have now started to kind of give themselves a good platform going forward and they've done all that and still secured third in the championship. So hats off to them. Good luck to them. Good luck to them indeed. And I mean, I guess we're somewhat sticking with McLaren, but going back to Nate to talk about a man that's quickly, I know, close to his heart. Are we talking about Danny Ricardo? Cannot wait to see him come McLaren launch. Hopefully coronavirus doesn't try to rain on our parade still all the way down in 2021. But still, um, his final race in a Renault, seventh plus a you know, extra point for the fastest lap. Um, Nate, what did you make of his sign-off, I suppose, with Renault? Yeah, it was kind of on brand for his season. You know, it was a pretty impressive race. He was the only guy who did something a bit different to everybody else. Um, and yeah, just really strong. I mean, Ocon obviously got the podium last week and Ricardo was the guy who finished as the second quickest. And yeah, I think everything he could have done, he did in that race. And it kind of it speaks volumes about his season. He's been the guy performing like that. So um pretty strong i'd say and um yeah i mean it's not a bad replacement for Renault, though is it they've got fernando alonso just casually stepping in next season so i'm sure that consistency wise they should be fine on that front but um yeah i think for their for them what they need if, if they're going to be in another fight is that ocon again you know going back to that point of one driver underperforming they need ocon to be you know moving up a level because if you're struggling against ricardo across a season you imagine he'll struggle against Alonso. So, um, yeah, great stuff from Ricardo. And um, him v Norris is going to be fascinating because mm-hmm. I really think Norris has come on a long way, but it'll be the toughest challenge for Norris of his career. So that's going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Um, Ricardo seemed pretty pretty excited to um, have an off-season break when we spoke to him after the race. It was just like, <laughs> I'm done with F1 for about six weeks. So I'm sure Shut when up. he comes back. Yeah, well, I'm sure when he comes back, it'll be nice and refreshed. But um, a few of them seem to echo that statement. So I think it's kind of a feels like a hard earned break for a lot of them. A hard earned break, and it'll probably be a longer break for some, as we did hint with Sergio Perez. But someone else that we do have to say goodbye to for now um, is Kevin Magnussen. Um, thoughts on his, I suppose, sign off from it? Well, Lawrence and I always joke about this. I'm a huge Magnussen fan. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a real shame. It's kind of gone under the radar a little bit that he's leaving. Um, but I think he's great. You know, he's he's kind of a, a bit of a throwback, really, kind of a thoroughbred racer. Um, you know, that he's never he's not really had the car recently to to show some of that. You know, that Haas car over this season and last season really wasn't competitive. Um, 
but yeah, when he's when he's had a good car, he's a pretty feisty driver, quite aggressive. Sometimes, you know, the wrong side of the line, maybe. But I think that that's it's nice to see that from drivers, you know. And I think he'll be a real asset wherever he goes. And he's certainly better than a handful of the drivers will be on the grid next year. So um, F1's loss. He's going to IMSA, which is sports car racing in America. If anyone doesn't know, and there were rumours that he might end up at Dale Coyne, uh, IndyCar, but at the moment, sponsorship seems to be a thing for him. But once he gets those things sorted out, I can see him being a real success in something like IndyCar. Um, so it's a shame, but it's it, just to go go to that point about him being a racer, he was talking on TV afterwards and they said, are you going to miss Formula One? He said, well, I miss winning more than I'm going to miss mm. Formula One. And, you know, he said, if I stay here, unless a big seat opens up for me, realistically, every weekend I turn up in F1, I'm going to be fighting for 10th, 11th and stuff. And I, I like the fact that that's kind of what he thinks. A lot of people end up staying in F1 for a long time because it's, you know, it's the pinnacle and stuff. And I totally understand that. But for him, he's like, well, look, I've done it. I've achieved that dream. I can tick it off. He got a podium with his very first race. So he kind of achieved things in the wrong order. Um, but yeah, so I think wherever he goes, he's going to be great. And um, I think it's a shame that Haas is replacing him with Nikita Mazepin, who hasn't really covered himself in much glory this week, but is obviously there because he's bringing a lot of money to the team. And from speaking to people inside the team, I know that Magnussen's departure, you know, has really kind of, I guess, bummed a lot of them out because they really wanted him to stay. But it just it purely came down to a financial decision in the end for that team, which, you know, is a shame, but that's the way F1 is. So he can feel hard done by, but I'm sure we'll see him lifting trophies in other series sooner rather than later. And the other guy we're probably saying goodbye to uh, at the end of this race weekend is Daniel Kofia, who will see Alpha Tauri driver and looks very likely to be replaced by Yuki Tsunoda, uh, who's a Japanese Honda-backed driver who finished third in Formula 2 this year. So, um, yeah, he, he kind of put on some decent performances, I felt. I mean, today didn't go really that well for him, but towards the end of this year, he kind of showed a little bit, again, of, of what he can do, but it just hasn't been quite enough. And if you compare his season to Gasly's, his teammate Pierre Gasly, you just feel it wasn't quite there. So, you know, F1 is, is brutal like that. And when you're at a team that's especially a team like AlphaTauri that's on the verge between scoring points and not a lot of the time. Only a few small things have to go against you and all of a sudden it looks quite bad. But yeah, I mean, he's had his chances. He went all the way up to Red Bull and then was replaced by Max Verstappen in 2016. And then ever since he's been off the grid, was a Ferrari uh, kind of simulator driver for a year and then came back onto the grid when Red Bull essentially ran out of young drivers to fill the Toro Rosso team at the time. So who knows? Maybe we'll see him again. You kind of feel like, you know, he's talented and experienced enough to step in. He could be uh, another kind of Nico Hulkenberg style character if we still need uh, substitute drivers next year for whatever reasons. I'm hoping it won't be for COVID reasons, but you never know. It might be. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him knocking around, but I'm not entirely sure what, what happens next for uh, Daniel Kvyat. So um, best of luck to him as well and whatever he does. Right, well, I think um, we only have time now for final thoughts, guys. I suppose the last race weekend of the season, we'll definitely still have another podcast where we properly like give a post-mortem to what we've seen so far in 2020 and then a proper preview when we are closer to the 2021 season where hopefully it is definitely exciting and minus the pandemic. But final thoughts? Alex, I want to throw this back to you because you said at the start of the show that this was your first year covering Formula One. Uh, I think your first year like properly following Formula One. So how have you found it? I love it. I absolutely adore it. And honestly, <laughs> I know I've had like mixed reviews with some people saying, do you sit down there and watch every single lap? 
And yeah, I've been cheating on cricket and football notoriously this entire season because that's all I watch. And the time that F1 races are on, I don't even watch everything else. I put football and I put cricket on my small tablet. And you guys know the madness that my Sundays are when I'm trying to look around for matches that I didn't see because I've been busy watching everyone go around a racetrack. But it's been absolutely brilliant. If we Even the heartbreak of George Russell still... I persist and we've saw, seen some amazing races like Monza as well um, and the storylines I think I absolutely cannot wait for 2021 I'm, I was kind of gutted when you said March there because I was like what three months away plus I still have PTSD from last year March when all hell broke loose thanks to the pandemic um, but I definitely cannot wait for now my second launch which Nate I hope is going to be McLaren again I think a lot of launches are going to be done as we're doing this podcast unfortunately because no! uh, yeah it's it's gonna be a shame but i think it's it's one thing that we've we've seen that the teams realize that this is a really easy way to do stuff so i think it'll be a lot of virtual launches but to be honest a lot of them were kind of virtual anyway weren't they there was only a yeah. few physical launches left and mclaren were good at that so hopefully they find a way maybe of accommodating us but i'm not holding my breath for any of that but um oh. it'd, be, it'd be great to go again they're really good salmon sandwiches and tea Plus, Lawrence is going to be absolutely gutted if he can't go to the opera singing, whatever the Ferrari's launch was. But it was it was definitely something to witness. Well, funny, I've been invited to a virtual Ferrari Christmas dinner on Friday. <laughs> so I don't know whether I have to cook my own turkey, uh, boil my own sprouts. I haven't asked yet. But um, yeah, Ferrari would usually invite us to Maranello to dissect the season that's gone but um fair play to them they could have just cancelled the whole thing because it's not been a great year for them and uh other news this weekend that ceo louis camilleri is leaving uh ferrari and you know there's some big questions around that so um fair play to ferrari for um at least talking to us as, as they normally would do um but yeah i think i'll be i'll be cooking my own my own christmas dinner rather than being laid on by the chefs at marinello who are very very good um, but yeah, uh, look forward to that. And then hopefully that'll give us something more to talk about in our season ending podcast. Hopefully we'll get some news on what happens to Ferrari next because I know a lot of people will be interested. Do Italians have turkey for their Christmas dinner? I suppose we should ask Nate. Nate's got some <laughs> Italian roaming around in his blood. I don't actually know what an Italian Christmas is like, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't throw that to me because I wasn't. <laughs> no. I bet it's good, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, I it mean, I'll take any Italian food. You don't even have to tell me what it is. Just tell me it's Italian food and I'll have it. And that's a wrap on the pod, Abu Dhabi and the 2020 season. But we will be back for a full review of everything that happened in what was an unprecedented F1 year. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that pod. Until then, it's bye for now.